Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, we welcome you to the Storyform Podcast. I'm your host, Will Chenault, and I'm here with my new co-host, Tori Wilkerson. Tori, we've got one podcast underneath our belt, and uh, so this is our journey into the second podcast today. I'm a professional now. You are. I've got it. I've You've got already it. got one under your belt, <laughs> and we're just moving forward. I can be trusted with a microphone. Yes. Okay. We Let's have see. a special guest uh, on this podcast. I was trying to think of a name, like Grand Poobah, um, the big guy. It seems like a second choice fits. If I was, <laughs> if I came in, this is the second? Yes, this is, uh, you know, okay. well, this is kind he of the. to make sure I could be trusted with you. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our lead pastor, Eugene Brott, here today. I tried to think of a, you know, what's a funny adjective, Tori, for Eugene, the the main man, the grand poobah, the, the I'm big not guy. allowed to make funny jokes about Eugene. Anymore. Anymore. <laughs> Anymore. I'm on my best behavior now. But it's an interesting scenario. So we have Eugene on the on the Chase Lounge, so to say, and he's going to swipe his health savings card, and we're going to just begin the conversation. And uh, so is there any... You know, question you've always wanted to ask Eugene in this sort of setting, Tori. Is there anything that we can hmm. that we can analyze him? We've got a, you know. Do you, do you have favorite church members? <laughs> uh, a few, and I have some that are not anywhere remotely favored at all. And uh, if you're listening, you have to appreciate that Tori and my relationship is long and storied and built on common animosity to cover the affection we actually hold. <laughs> And sarcasm. And sarcasm. It's, it's the love language at fellowship. Yes, it was, really is. It is. It is. Some reasons. people have a hard time adjusting to that, I have found. But it really is. It's mm-hmm. the love language, at least of church staff. Uh, it's You know we really love each other when we harass mm-hmm. one another. Uh-huh. I think I've, I've been at fellowship 19 years. Eugene and I were in my first community group together. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. Uh-huh. I survived. He survived. Uh-huh. And we're all still here. Uh-huh. and. Thumbs up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're going to delve into a topic that's really important today. Um, we're going to talk about church hurt, and we're going to give a little bit of definition and language to what that means and what it is, um, and talk about uh, how we um, can be a healthy church and continue to be a healthy church, and how uh, often we know people maybe that are coming from other settings and other backgrounds. Uh, attend the church, and they're coming with uh, woundedness. They're coming with some brokenness from uh, the church. And so we're going to delve into this topic today, and I thought it would be really appropriate to have our lead pastor here to talk through, um, you know, how do we how do we heal from this? How do we work through this? How do we define it? So before I begin, I want to read a little bit of scripture, Jeremiah 23. It says this, woe to the shepherds, to destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherd who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. 
Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will shepherd them over those who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So that Isaiah says, or uh, Jeremiah rather, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more. Eugene, when you hear that scripture, uh, what comes to mind? What runs through um, as you hear that? Well, really, the the prediction, the warning that Jeremiah gives to shepherds who are not shepherding the flock well. Surprisingly, um, generos- uh, gratitude, not generosity, mm-hmm. gratitude, mostly because I grew up in the church. My father was a churchman, and um, I was deeply involved in, in multiple churches in my youth and had, by and large, positive experiences. And not, not to say there was an absence of hurt. Of course there is. You put two people together for any extended period of time, there's bruising, People are evil. People are clumsy more than they're even evil. Um, we're going to hurt one another. But it was in the context where there wasn't ever anything sinister. And I saw shepherds in all their brokenness doing it with a with an intent, tender hand. And so I, I read that. And I've seen it, my goodness, have I seen it on the uh, landscape of churches today. There's so many of these harmful shepherds, but that hasn't been my experience, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful that it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so speak to that. You know, you've been a pastor here for 22? 22 years. 22 years. And you grew up as a, a pastor's child. Uh, your dad was a pastor and a professor, and and so your experience, by and large, was a positive experience. You 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 didn't have this, you know. You're in ministry. You're in fruitful ministry. You you didn't have this background that you said, yeah, I have this deep bruising or woundedness that's come from the church. By and large, you had a a good experience in those settings. Yeah, and it's twofold. One would be that the Lord's protected me from any kind of severe calamity in the church, but there've been. There have been occasions that were handled poorly and people did harm. But I'd credit my parents there and the way they handled that. Um, it, it never became categorized as a church problem. Mm-hmm. So it was original sin in the life of one or two or a handful. But that church was never spoken with any derision. Mm. So I, I, even if I experienced hurt, I didn't go, this institution is a bad one. Mm-hmm. That's really important. I think that's an important statement that we can experience hurt from individuals, but we don't want to make this blanket statement on the institution. And I think that can be the temptation when people are hurt, that they just give this blanket statement that, well, the church, you know, the church wounds people and the church hurts people. And It's bad theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, all our problems are bad theology. But just it, it tends to think that, the institution itself is somehow deficient. But the church is the only institution that extends into glory. The family isn't. I mean, it is the bride of Christ that he returns for. So it is this eternal institution. The one thing that is going to show continuity between this age and the next is the church. 
It is for the church Christ died. It is for the church that he returns. Um, so our understanding of the church is that God loves it. Now, warts and all, God loves it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember a friend of mine using an analogy of um, a, a wedding, right? And at the front stands the pastor. He's officiating. And there is the groomsman, and he's all excited, and um, you know he can't believe how fortunate he is. And the doors open, and the dad walks the bride in, and she's radiant, right? She looks glorious. And uh, this chap can't believe how fortunate he is. But the dad knows his daughter, and she's the apple of his eye. But he knows their tendencies. She's not a perfect bride, mm-hmm. but she's still a prize. That's a great analogy. That's a great. Tori, what comes to mind as you hear that illustration? The bride of Christ, the church, the the realization that we come and we present, but there's also the reality of our, we, we know our own brokenness in that. I'm drawing a blank. I mean, of course we're broken. And I think sometimes we walk into the church and we think we're the only broken people there. And we forget that we are interacting in a family of brokenness. And sometimes our expectations of people are too high and our expectations of ourselves are too low. And I think we have to remember often that conflict, a friend of mine says this a lot, all conflict is born out of um unmet expectations. So maybe the problem sometimes in lies with we don't know what to expect from the people who we are in in family relationship with in the church. Yeah. Great point. Um just like, you know, the groom may not have known coming down the aisle, mm-hmm. but the father did. The father did. Yeah, um, absolutely. Working definition uh an author Stephen Mansfield uh with wrote a book years ago with Barna and uh, he, he revolved church hurt around really three things. It's one, the decision to permanently question one's faith. Secondly, to uh, lose trust in church leadership. And then thirdly, to withdraw from a congregation that you considered your church home. That would be a working definition, so to say, of what church hurt might be. Say the first one again. The first one is that uh, somebody comes to a place that they really permanently question their faith. Gotcha. Um, They see some of the human realities and the difficulties, and they begin to say, is all of this real? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I had a friend uh, that I went to seminary with that um, I don't know where he is now, I don't. but years ago, um, he confessed and professed that he was now, didn't say an atheist, but he basically said, I'm a secular humanist. And one of his reasons was, uh, if the church is the bride of Christ, if it has, uh, you know, the, the place where the spirit dwells in the lives of people, then, then why is it so broken? And why is it uh, so dysfunctional? And it led him to a place of saying, I don't think I believe any of this anymore. And so that would be an example of losing one's faith that that they were so uh, hurt and by the the human element uh, of human relationships within the body of Christ and and did not see the expectation that maybe they had was unmet and so it led him to a path of 
uh, of saying, well, I, I no longer believe. And, and this was years before the whole deconstruction movement uh, took place. And so that would be kind of that first category. Gotcha. The second category would just be a fundamental mistrust or distrust in church mm-hmm. leadership. You know, that, that there are things that happen, there are things that take place that they see, um, and it causes a, a deep mistrust in really any sort of leadership, but particularly church leadership. And then finally, it would someone making the decision to say, we are leaving what we called our, our church home. You know, we're leaving and we're, we're either disconnected from the church or we're, or we're removing ourselves somewhere else. And so I would say that would kind of be within those three things, maybe a, a little bit of some understanding of what would be a working definition of church hurt. So as you hear that definition, what comes to mind for either one of you? I really think as you read those, when I came in today thinking about them, number two is what, that was what I was coming in with mm-hmm. as my definition. That's my personal experience with mm-hmm. church hurt. Mm-hmm. That is probably my experience with friends and family with church hurt is just been at some level um, pastorally or within the body I have experienced hurt, and I think there are a lot of categories that people fall into. My, my personal experience, not here, years years ago, totally different city, um, was a confidentiality issue, and it totally undermined 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 my trust in in my pastor, and it was hard, and it's hard to rebuild from that. My choice was to lean in, not to run away, but a lot of people choose to run away once they've experienced hurt. Um, and that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eugene, how about you? When you think of those, those well, I'm things? just thinking about your choice of words there, Tori, about leaning in. My experience with you is you press in. <laughs> <laughs> Hard. I do. <laughs> and, uh, and it's welcome. No, I, I have so many thoughts and I'm trying to order them. I think those are good definitions uh, or at least characteristics to work through i also wonder though when we use church hurt if we're always using it to express harm done or displeasure Mm -hmm. and and i think those are also different categories right so if i walk away from a church where i've been hurt because a confidential point was released and i was shamed right and my soul is bruised i've been hurt if I'm um, dissatisfied and I'm angry, I don't think anger is church hurt. Right. So when I hear someone say I've experienced church hurt, I really want to you know, get an understanding of what they're saying. Because the anger might be legitimate, but I don't think it's a good description of church hurt. Absolutely. I think it's also that second part where there are people that come in with a consumeristic mindset and they maybe have a understanding of this is you didn't come through for me or, um, you know, that, that there was uh, something that they desired that a, a need wasn't met, or maybe they had an agenda that they wanted to see happen, or maybe they wanted to see a, a ministry that, you know, the church didn't necessarily have a vision for. Right. And so then that, that, can be under the category, and it was really their choice of saying, you know, I'm displeased with this. Right. I mean, it's not impossible that a prideful leader is interacting with a prideful member. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the hurt could be born out of both their pride. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I, 
I would want people to really test their heart and go, okay, what what is stirring in me? Where's my discontent? And for some people, it's just clear as day because they were in a church where there was a rogue pastor or a renegade leadership team and they were ruling with an iron fist and they brutalized their people. And those are the simple cases. I mean, they're incredibly painful and they do amazing amount of damage. But at least it's simple and you can go, okay, you were in the fold with a bad shepherd. Mm-hmm. And we know our first job is to is to nurse your wounds. Mm-hmm. So in that point, clarifying what happened is simple. Mm-hmm. It's traumatic, damaging, but it's simple. Um, the other ones where there was clumsiness and it gets misconstrued as evil, it's a little harder to figure out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. I think those are really important distinctions when we when we talk about this topic. But you mentioned earlier, Eugene, that it is really something possibly within the last five years, maybe, that we're hearing more and more this term spiritual abuse. You know, just as you, as, as, a, as a pastor, as a pastor of a large church, um, it's why, why the, this phenomena over the last five years? Um, well, like most often, you'll see vocabulary becomes and jargon becomes popular and then gets repeated. Let me answer it by something that my mentor once said to me. He said, when you start in a church, you have zero trust. You've got no trust capital. And everything you do, you're going to have to explain it eight times and show you're working. After a time, once you've explained yourself, people are inclined to trust you. He says, and then you'll get to a point where you never have to explain yourself and people will trust you. And he said, that's the most dangerous point of all. And I would say spiritual abuse is when people get to that third category and they later find out that the leader was taking advantage of them. So they had entrusted trust. Right? They had given a portion of their soul in that sense to a person who was malicious. And that's abusive. So just as cruel words or a, a vicious fist can be abusive, um, crushing a person's hope is equally so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, when we think of over the last several years, I mean, we've had the, the Mars Hill podcast that came out that, that really had a ripple effect through evangelical culture in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, for those listeners that aren't as familiar with that, it was just more of a, and it's a mixed bag. Uh, it's not necessarily things that we would say we, we wholeheartedly agree with everything, uh, but it's definitely worth engaging and critically interacting with. Um, but it was the story of a, a large mega church in Seattle that, um, experienced a lot of what we would say were spiritually abusive practices. And, um, and, and so not all were, uh, and I think that's where it becomes tricky, uh, that, that, that term can be thrown out and it, and it's, uh, not always the case. Um, but this has become something that has been forefront in a lot of ways. Right. And, and you have to be able to just say, 
there is something that's assertive leadership and it may not be effective, but it's not wicked, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there is abusive, which, um, so I would distinguish it that an assertive moment of leadership is um, bringing everything to bear to move a person in the right direction. Abusive is bringing everything to bear to crush a person or yeah. to marginalize them. Mm -hmm. And and so knowing that intent helps. But man, in the moment when you've been triggered and your heart rate is up and you feel offended, it's really hard to go, now, what was behind? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So what comes to mind for me is just the two categories of, of really spiritually abusive leadership. And I think when we look at the causes of that, if we were to ask the question, why are leaders leading in this way? My assessment would be there is something deeply broken within that individual. There is a, um, there is an unhealth, both spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, that has led a leader to be at a place that you know, they have maybe gotten into a position based on giftedness, based, based on maybe public presence, but they do not have the character in their private world that is congruent with their public persona. And so I would say that the, the cause, the why is, I, I think, a, a deeply broken individual uh, who you know, needs, needs to do some deeper work of healing and wholeness uh, to, to operate in that way. So th we can say that because of, you know, just the, the things in their, in their world, the brokenness of their life, um, they are, they are evil in, mm -hmm. in the way they conduct themselves. They're uh, vindictive, uh, they are unapproachable, they're, they're working to consolidate power, all of those things. And it, and they would be doing that if they weren't a pastor. They would be displaying that no matter what the vocation, my sense would be. And so we would say under that, the cause of that is there is a deeply, deeply unhealthy individual leading an organization. So what do, you, what do we do at fellowship as a staff, as the pastoral staff? What are the checks and balances um, that we have in place so that if there is somebody in leadership who is struggling in that way. Right. Well, you start with the elders. So the elders are a plurality of elders. Uh, there is no one elder who leads. Um, and I think that's been the delightful experience as people rotate onto that board is that it's not a rubber stamp um, circumstance. And, and, and once again, my, my upbringing makes that helpful because the weight is too much. So the idea of just having a cheering squad is not comforting because that means you're carrying all the weight and I just don't want to. So having a plurality of elders is super important and there is evaluations, I'm evaluated, and then through that, um, Van is our executive of ministries. You know, He oversees the staff and he's meeting with them every week. Um, so just keeping abreast of performance but also state of heart. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't know because I'm the only non-pastor in the room. <laughs> um, it feels to me like it's such a vulnerable place to be, um, maybe a lonely place where if you are struggling with something that you need to share, like where do you go to do that? Who is safe for you um, that can hold you accountable um, in those ways? 
mm-hmm. for the both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we talked about this at our staff leadership development meeting on Monday as a staff, an all staff meeting, you know, I think that we need to find those people within the body and it's not going to be a lot of people, uh, but trusted people. And those, uh, my experience is, is as that grows over time, as you trust someone with uh, kind of those growing deposits of, of trust and that you realize they are trustworthy and there is a, a confidentiality and they have integrity and um, that's very important to have those people. Um, it's also important that you're going to have people that will say, hey, you're wrong and and this is why. And I try to be that for y'all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being willing to be open and receive feedback. Um, I, I think also having resources of people outside the church uh, is very helpful in uh, being able to you know, process what's going on in our inner world so that in our, in our own heart, so that we're not in an unhealthy place. And I think just as a staff as well, being willing to um, take risk and um, have those conversations with one another. And I see that, in my almost 12 years here, I've, I've seen that grow and develop, and that's been a very encouraging thing. Um, Eugene, would you speak more to that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm just sitting here in an old farmhouse, which is part of our offices. And part of the DNA, I think, is just a gift. It seems accidental, but it's a gift. Like, we office in a, in a farmhouse, and so everybody is in a bedroom, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so we operate as though we're in a family abode and we, we, we talk to one another in that regard. And I wonder what our DNA would have looked like if we'd been in a corporate building. Um, I don't think it would have had the same feel. Now, it goes way beyond just the accidental architecture. I mean, there's certainly a lot of intentionality in that. And, um, and, and one of our, our values, our mission is to grow compelling relationships. And we say it all the time and we believe it. We try and be good at it. I would say this, just me observing and like watching Eugene. I I think there's a part of, I know there's a part of Eugene that is terrified of um, not ever wanting to get to that place of unhealth just with him personally of knowing the responsibility of what that means as a lead pastor. But I also see an openness and a vulnerability of saying, I don't ever want to get to this place of unhealth. I don't, you know, there's an integrity of, of heart. And I think that's very important that the, the leader of the organization has an integrity of heart that he's really not desiring to build his own kingdom. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think that's hugely important. Um, that there is an openness and an accessibility. I think that's part. Also, um, sometimes pastors of larger churches uh, do not make themselves accessible to the body. And I would say that um, probably Eugene is far more accessible, I would say, than most large church pastors uh, as far as just saying, come by, you know, if you have a problem, uh, we'll meet for lunch or uh, come to my office conversation. So it doesn't create this um, kind of King mentality that, um, that, that he's removed and unapproachable. That yeah. would be my experience. That's nice to hear. 
another piece, and you know, we were practicing this earlier, is just the uh, antagonism that we utilize, this playful teasing. And, and the effect of that is it deflates any sense of glory. I mean, we're, we're, we're picking on each other. You've been picking on me for I love to deflate years. your sense of glory. I go. like that. You're good at it's it. It's my purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was the first compliment you've ever given me. <laughs> so we think about this evil, um, broken, uh, spiritually abusive leadership, and we can look at that and say, that is very clearly wrong. Um, it is toxic. It is not something that any of us aspire to. I would say the second understanding when we think of church hurt, and Eugene used the word clumsy. I like that word. I would say it's just more flesh-driven um, leadership, meaning um, you, you mentioned it, Eugene, when I am triggered and set off and I am, I am escalated, probably what's going to come out of me is probably not the most spirit-directed response but a uh, kind of a, a flesh-driven old nature, old man, you know, part of that work that God's still working to redeem. And I think sometimes the, the clumsy in, in leadership, that happens. And so very often people experience those things. And I thought about this, it's, the causes, when you think of this flesh-driven or clumsy uh, leadership, it, people come and they say, I don't feel seen, known, or loved. You know, I, I felt missed in that exchange. Um, maybe they feel unengaged. They maybe felt dismissed. They felt like maybe a leader did not listen well. Maybe they were blunt in their response, maybe more than uh, patient. And, and so I, I would say that that is um, maybe the more common experience that people have that all of us can say, we have been clumsy at times, and we're going to continue to be clumsy at times. Yeah, you, it depends on your day, right? Um, I always want to walk around with a, a badge on on a Sunday saying, I'm only 50% here uh, because if I'm teaching, I'm in the zone. And so I, I could very well walk past someone I love and care for and not even look at them. And my expression might be one of intense concentration and it looks like I've got a death glare. And they walk away shattered because the pastor didn't see love or care for me. And that simply wasn't the case. I, I'm just finite and I'm invested in a task at, at hand. Uh, catch me on a Wednesday and I'm going to be a different character. But if that Wednesday is one where parenting or managing a household was difficult, it might not be, right? So we, we're never always at our best. Mm -hmm. And and those encounters are what I'd call clumsy, mm -hmm. where we're not at our best um, and no intent is meant, but we did damage inadvertently. And I just wish people would say, hey, A, I was hurt, and B, I don't think that was your intent. I can give credit and just, you know, presume the best. We would get past so much of this. Right. Now, it's still my responsibility, even if I'm only 50% there, to make sure that 50% is available to people and is mindful. I, me being a preacher doesn't give me permission to be indifferent to the souls of people. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the leader carries the majority of the responsibility here. And, and if I was just talking only to pastors, I would certainly be leaning into them saying, hey, when it comes to church hurt, you carry the majority of the responsibility because, frankly, you're going to do the majority of the damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a great description of just where we're not at our best all the time, 100% of the time, um, that, that there will be moments that we do not handle that well. And, uh, and so I think in, in just a minute, I'm going to talk a little bit about some, what are some of the practices within a, a healthy culture, but just continuing to know that there are people that, um, that do come and, and say, I had a bad experience with a pastor or, you know, this took place, this happened. I, I you know, I know like the value of, um, I really, when people text me, I really do want to respond, but sometimes you get so many texts and the balls drop and, and you don't respond. And so somebody could, could take that as, well, they don't care. Uh, they didn't respond to my text. And, and it, it's not that we don't care. or I don't care. It's just, it fell through the cracks. Right. Um, it's something that can easily happen. And so I think the trust over suspicion, I think is very, very important within a culture of a church to that working to say, first, I'm going to choose to trust before I go to this place of assigning, uh, blame or assigning a motive in, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think, I'm sure for everyone, church hurt there are 10 we don't know about but the ones that you do know do you find that people tend to lean in to you or do you hear about it secondhand how are we as a body dealing with that yeah yeah that's a great question my experience and eugene may be different um i think most people are not going to come directly to the person um and that's that's a disservice i think hearing and becoming a healthy church and continuing to grow in a healthy church is a willingness to say, you know, I, I am, I felt wronged and I want to go directly to the person and, and talk about that. But very often that's hard to do or it it feels too big of a step. And, and so it, it may be a conversation with someone else and that, that can be destructive Mm -hmm. uh, because it kind of spreads that, um, you know, Michael Sparks oftentimes talks about that circle of offense, you know, that, that we don't want to widen that to where you, you're rallying all these people without going directly to the person and saying, hey, this hurt me. Right. What's your experience, Eugene? Yeah, by the time it gets to me, it's atomic, right? Um, if they're going to come to me or it gets brought to my attention. Generally, it's gone through various um, stages of intensity and it's it's going to be bad. Um, and that's always the frustrating piece in that if only we'd gotten here earlier. Because mm-hmm. the problem is one offense breeds another. And so if I get injured in a small way, I'm always wondering if it will be reinforced again. And then it's quite easy to interpret everything to to create that narrative, right? And so just like in a marriage, we can have this internal discussion with ourselves about how poorly things are going. And if we just brought it to the light, that would have been so much better, so much quicker. Um, but, you know, there are always successes. I, I, I have people come and go, I, I don't like this call. Why did, why did we make this decision as a church? And I'll be able to go, well, let's kind of walk through it and, and when that's done, 
they may not, with new information, say, you know, Eugene, you're brilliant, you did great. I wish they always did. <laughs> but at least they'll go, okay, I get the decision. I may not still like it. But the motive issue is mm -hmm. resolved. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key, mm -hmm. is the motive issue. Because yeah. I had a, a another guy in my life who his father was an alcoholic. And talk about hurt. That's just chronic, chronic pain. And healing happened when he realized that his dad was sick, not evil. <laughs> and that changed everything. That the, the activity was still abysmal, the damage was still bad, but now he was able to approach his dad as someone who was weak, not wicked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's so important to be willing to um, in, in have those conversations and know that in a healthy culture, in a healthy church culture, the, the silence, in the silence and in the vacuum of that silence, we create our own narrative. Absolutely. You know, so take the illustration of uh, I forget to respond to a text message. Well, in the silence of any sort of follow-up or any sort of repair, then there's a narrative that's created. And often that narrative is not positive, it's a negative. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why it's important to be able to come back and repair those situations in a, in a healthy church culture. Right. And, and for members to have a, um, a willingness to have those conversations. Tori, you talked to that. You're a church member. What makes it difficult to have a conversation with a staff member or a pastor? You know, I have, I have experience in this, actually. Um, there was a situation, and, it, you know, concerning what it was concerning my children it was because normally I'm not going to speak up for myself sadly um but this is revolving around my children and I was like this I think this hurts my feelings I think this hurts my kids feelings what should I do and I handled it wrongly did not go to the person that I should have gone to I went to somebody else and said I think you need to handle this and I admit I was wrong well, the person that I should have gone to actually came to me and said, hey, what's going on? And not in an accusatory way, and obviously on a staff of people who have learned well how to deal with mothers who are irrational. Um, but it was just such a good experience for me. In my hurt, I wanted to skirt around, and I did not want to address what was actually hurting me. I wanted the hurt to go away. Well, I had a responsibility that I failed pretty, you know, largely with. Um, but now what's something we talk about in our family all the time, and it started with something I would tell my kids, but it is something I've internalized into every day of my life. When you are hurt, you have two choices. You can forgive and in total forgiveness, move on, or you can confront that situation. Those are your only two options. And so... That's, that's what we do, and that's what I try to live by. And then when you are moving forward, and if you're going to confront a situation in humility, um, in the right channels, and I think a lot of times we don't know what that is. Um, but honestly, if you look at it strictly from you go to the, the person who offended you, and you deal with what you do with them, and, and I think it's just all about having a heart of humility and assuming, like you said earlier, assuming the best that most likely nobody meant to hurt you. Um, 
and we can we can move forward from there. Yeah. So we think about it. I'll end with this: when within a um, healthy family or healthy relationship or a healthy community, healthy organization, uh, I think attachment science has a lot. To, to help us in that. And when we think of kind of some key categories of attachment, meaning what, what are the ingredients that need to take place in human relationship for people to feel secure? And so it revolves around four things. The first is attunement. And it's the attunement is I see you, I get you, um, you're seen, known, and loved. Um, and we are, we are in tune with one another. Uh, the second is containment. Containment is the idea that you have a voice. Uh, there is a, a honoring. There's boundaries within containment. Um, containment is, you know, I, I can allow you to have uh, real emotion and be able to hold that in, in a safe way and in a healthy way. Um, but also uh, containment is you have a voice. You know, so in a healthy organization, there is that part of you are seen, known, and loved. You are delighted in. We want to know you, compelling relationships. But also, you do have a voice, and we want to listen to you, and we want to hear where you're coming from. We want to honor that voice. That doesn't mean you always get your way. You know, in a, in a, in a healthy family, it is, yes, you are loved more than you can imagine, and no, you're not going to always get your way. So you think about in a, in a church setting with church members and leadership, there's a trust in leadership. There may be directions that are going that, that maybe they disagree with, but there is that containment of saying, we love you, but you may not always get your way in this setting. You may not always be able to see what you want and your expectations met. And so that's a, a healthy containment within a church. There's healthy honoring of boundaries. So attunement, containment. And then there is rupture. There is conflict. We get sideways with one another. Uh, we say the wrong thing. We don't enter into situations in the most healthy way. That happens in human relationships. That happens with our kids. That happens in our marriage. That happens in an organization. There is a rupture. But the key is the fourth category, and that's repair. That is coming back and is saying, hey, something's not right between us. Can, can we talk through this? Can we repair this? It moves us back to that place of attunement. It moves us back to that secure, solid ground. And so you think about if that is the, the ethos within a church, if that is the dynamics that happen within a church, uh, I think that is going to lead to a healthy place, a willingness to say, you know, I, I, I do love you and I care for you and I, and I think the best of you and you are seen, known, and loved. Um, I want to listen to you. I do. I really want to honor your voice. That doesn't mean you're always going to get your way. There may be disagreements, but I'm still going to try to listen and wrestle with that and hear that and understand that. And we're going to handle things the wrong way. We're going to make mistakes. You know, we're going to say things in a very clumsy way. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, interact. I, I know for me, when I get escalated, I get angry. I do. And so, you know, if, if I get triggered, uh, I'm, I'm not a move away. I'm a move towards. And I know that that's not generally of the spirit. You know, that's of my own self-protection. And so I can own that and I can say, I, I didn't handle that the right way. Uh, I really blew it. Yeah, I really like the idea of the repair piece. And I'm trying to think as a pastor of the people coming into the congregation. Mm -hmm. 
their repair may be very different from someone like Tori who's been here a long time, mm -hmm. right? Because she has a certain cache of trust that she can walk through those steps pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But someone who's come from a very hostile, very toxic place, mm -hmm. they can't do that work there because there's no willing party to go through those That's steps. Right. So they're coming into our church and they... There's no trust capital anywhere. The very fact they've gone back to a church of any kind is heroic. Mm -hmm. um, and in such a situation, I, I, I just want to give those people time to mm -hmm. test the water and to realize that, yes, there is such a thing as evil leadership and there is clumsy leadership, um, and, it's, and it's safe and okay being in the latter. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important. I think it's really important at this point in the conversation too to say all church hurt is not from staff and from your pastors or people in leadership the bot we are hurting each other every day within the body because we're human and we're sinful and so for the people who are coming in looking for repair for past hurt that maybe did not originate here the first line is the body. Mm -hmm. It's the people. It's it's those of us who we're, we're meeting in Bible studies or we're meeting on Sunday mornings or maybe within children's ministry. We are their repair often. It's not going to be among the staff. And so I think it's good for us to remember, um, just as church members, that we have a huge role in helping people repair past hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and when that takes place, that there is that short account. There's that sense of we're on the same page. Um, there's health. Um, you know, there's good things that take place. Yeah, we aspire uh, to want to want to be healthy as a church, and I know we talk about that regularly. And and so, um, Eugene, thank you for coming on and talking uh, about this topic. Any final words as we wrap up? Uh, stick with the church. Ultimately, she'll be radiant and perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, a good, good word. Well, we thank you. Um, thank you, Eugene, for coming on the podcast. We hope it, uh, you know, it wasn't too much antagonism. Uh, I think you need to repair well that. He was very well behaved today. He was. Uh -huh. yeah. Sometimes he says ugly things about Johnny Cash, and that makes me angry, but he uh -huh. didn't today. Uh -huh. Good job. That's because you just did. <laughs> There's nothing ugly to say about him. <laughs> Eugene has a very unique palette of, of musical taste. You could call it unique. Yeah, it's very unique. You can. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't like country. Doesn't like jazz. Doesn't like, doesn't like jazz. What do uh, you like? A, that Tell was us, a repair Eugene. moment. That was a little bit of a repair moment when I found that out. We had, we had a little conflict. I'm a child one. of the 80s with everything it means. <laughs> Are you still playing guitar? No. Oh, gave it up. I tried. Failed again. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. I feel hurt. <laughs> we'll deal with that later. Well, guys, thank you. Great conversation. Thank you for joining us today on the Story Form Podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.